Today is October 14th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer and I am so glad you're here. So grateful you made the choice to show up today to get into this word with me, to flow and grow with me. I'm so honored to share my voice with you and to participate in something that is meaningful and missional and sacred and special. I feel so privileged. This podcast allows me to speak life and speak life into and over you while simultaneously giving me life. It serves me while allowing me to serve you and This is what vocation should feel like. This is what living out our life's purpose and passion should feel like. It should feel like a full, free expression of the authentic self, of the heart that is in some way connected to serving others, that is in some way not about you, but it does not take from you in a way that is draining or deflating or depleting. And so I share that with you because I do want you to know how much this means to me, but I also share it with you because I always want this to be about you. And so as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about what I could say to you, how I could connect what I was feeling about, you know, really living into what God has called me to in this season, how I could relate that and share that with you in a way that has resonance for you. And so the thought that came to my mind is, well, just encourage them to do the thing that you're doing, right? Okay, so that's what I'm doing today. I want to encourage you to take some time to really reflect on what it means for you to live out your vocational calling and to know what it feels like to live in the space that God designed specifically for you to walk the path that he specifically charted for you. And before we start the reading, I just want to say that you guys are witnessing in real time what it looks like for someone to explore another dimension of their purpose, their raison d'etre, their reason for being. You are experiencing, by being on this journey with me, what it looks like for somebody to take baby steps, to be vulnerable, to do stuff that scares her, to be challenged and have to summon her faith and courage. You are privy to the process that I'm going through to answer the call to show up in life in a much different way than I ever anticipated. I never saw myself sitting behind a microphone speaking like this. Never in a million years you could have told me that the little, shy, timid, reticent girl who was afraid to raise her hand in class and ask a question would be speaking publicly. Who? Her? Me? Never. But I'm doing it. And so as we continue on this journey together, I want y'all to do it with me in your own way. If you haven't already tapped into that inner power, go ahead and pursue the things that truly make you come alive, that fulfills you in your own unique way because it's the thing or they are the things that allow you to fully express who God knows you can be, who you know you can be. And if you're scared, if you're having doubts, let me tell you this. 
You can take comfort and confidence in knowing that God is not going to require anything of you that he will not strengthen and equip you for. But you better also know that you will not get there by playing it safe. He's not going to reveal it to you. He's not going to show you everything all at once. No, revelation is progressive. And to really fulfill whatever the call is that God has on our lives, it requires faith. If he showed us everything at the outset, you guys have probably heard this a million times before, it would require no faith, right? So I can tell you too, though, once you discover your purpose, you need to immerse yourself in it, refamiliarize yourself with it. If you already know what your purpose is, revisit your why. You need to know your purpose so well and the reason why you are doing it that you have no doubt that it is what God wants you to do in this season of your life. You need to let it permeate and influence every aspect of your life and your choices. You need to be present with it, live in it. Don't just visit it every once in a while. Stay there for a while and realize that because you are stepping out of your comfort zone and you are in uncharted territory, you definitely need the Lord. You cannot do what he called you to do without him. But this is a beautiful thing because it's an opportunity to not only grow closer to him, it is the experience of partnering with God. That is so sublime. Think about what I am saying for a minute. Partnering with God. Have you have you ever wanted to work with somebody like, oh, I know if I ever got to connect with that person, if we ever hook up, if I ever got to collaborate with that organization, if we ever put our creative minds together, what we could create would be epic. It won't even be fair to everybody else in the space because it's just going to be amazing. It is just going to be incredible. Have you ever thought that or felt that way about working with some entity or someone? That's kind of what it's like when we partner with God in our purpose. But it is the ultimate. He is the ultimate partner. What better partner could you ever have in life but Jesus himself? And this is why abiding and engaging in his word brings revelation, transformation, and joy to our lives. Because when we're reading the Bible, when we're hearing the word of God, we're not just in a book. We are reading or hearing God's love letter to us, his invitation to know him more intimately, his instruction manual for living a life that pleases him and blesses us. And when we read it with an open heart and a receptive mind, we're allowing God to speak to us personally on our level, in our language, to reveal his will and his ways, to correct our errors and our attitudes and guide our steps, to speak directly to our insecurities and inspire our hopes and dreams. We tap into his infinite wisdom and creativity and together we get to create something beyond what we could ever imagine on our own. Being in sync with his heart and his plan, being loved by him and loving him back, this is the ultimate goal and reward of our lives. This is relational intimacy, spiritual maturity, and divine ecstasy. Ooh. 
I just want to be in his presence right now. Let's get into this word, y'all. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 21 through chapter 25, verse 38. The message. Quit the God told me this kind of talk. I never sent these prophets, but they ran anyway. I never spoke to them, but they preached away. If they'd have bothered to sit down and meet with me, they'd have preached my message to my people. They'd have gotten them back on the right track, gotten them out of their evil ruts. Am I not a God near at hand, God's decree, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide out in a corner where I can't see him, God's decree? Am I not present everywhere, whether seen or unseen, God's decree? I know what they're saying, all these prophets who preach lies using me as their text, saying, I had this dream, I had this dream. How long do I have to put up with this? Do these prophets give two cents about me as they preach their lies and spew out their grandiose delusions? They swap dreams with one another, feed on each other's delusive dreams, trying to distract my people from me just as their ancestors were distracted by the no-god Baal. You prophets who do nothing but dream, go ahead and tell your silly dreams. But you prophets who have a message from me, tell it truly and faithfully. What does straw have in common with wheat? Nothing else is like God's decree. Isn't my message like fire? God's decree? Isn't it like a sledgehammer busting a rock? I've had it with the prophets who get all their sermons secondhand from each other. Yes, I've had it with them. They make up stuff and then pretend it's a real sermon. Oh yes, I've had it with the prophets who preach the lies they dream up, spreading them all over the country, ruining the lives of my people with their cheap and reckless lies. I never sent these prophets, never authorized a single one of them. They do nothing for this people nothing God's decree and anyone including prophets and priests who asks what's God got to say about all this what's troubling him tell him you you're the trouble and I'm getting rid of you God's decree and if anyone including prophets and priests goes around saying glibly God's message God's message I'll punish him and his family instead of claiming to know what God says questions of one another, such as, how do we understand God in this? But don't go around pretending to know it all, saying, God told me this, God told me that. I don't want to hear it anymore. Only the person I authorize speaks for me. Otherwise, my message gets twisted, the message of the living God of the angel armies. You can ask the prophets, how did God answer you? What did he tell you? But don't pretend that you know all the answers yourselves and talk like you know it all. I'm telling you, quit the God told me this, God told me that kind of talk. Are you paying attention? You'd better because I'm about to take you in hand and throw you to the ground. You and this entire city that I gave to your ancestors. I've had it with a lot of you. You're never going to live this down. You're going down in history as a disgrace. Two baskets of figs. God showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of God. This was after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem into exile in Babylon, along with the leaders of Judah, the craftsmen, and the skilled laborers. In one basket, the figs were of the finest quality, ripe and ready to eat. In the other basket, the figs were rotten, so rotten they couldn't be eaten. God said to me, Jeremiah, what do you see? Figs, I said, excellent figs of the finest quality and also rotten figs, so rotten they can't be eaten. Then God told me, 
This is the message from the God of Israel. The exiles from here that I've sent off to the land of the Babylonians are like the good figs, and I'll make sure they get good treatment. I'll keep my eye on them so that their lives are good, and I'll bring them back to this land. I'll build them up, not tear them down. I'll plant them, not uproot them. And I'll give them a heart to know me, God. They'll be my people, and I'll be their God, for they'll have returned to me with all their hearts. But like the rotten figs, so rotten they can't be eaten, is Zedekiah, king of Judah, rotten figs. That's how I'll treat him and his leaders, along with the survivors here and those down in Egypt. I'll make them something that the whole world will look on as disgusting, repugnant outcasts. Their names used as curse words wherever in the world I drive them. And I'll make sure they die like flies from war, starvation, disease, whatever, until the land I once gave to them and their ancestors is completely rid of them. Don't follow the God fads of the day. This is the message given to Jeremiah for all the people of Judah. It came in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. It was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jeremiah the prophet delivered the message to all the people of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, right up to the present day, twenty-three years it's been, God's word has come to me, and from early each morning to late every night I've passed it on to you, and you haven't listened to a word of it. Not only that, but God also sent a steady stream of prophets to you who were just as persistent as me, and you never listened. They told you, turn back right now, each one of you, from your evil way of life and bad behavior, and live in the land God gave you and your ancestors, the land he intended to give you forever. Don't follow the God fads of the day, taking up and worshiping these no-gods. Don't make me angry with your God businesses, making and selling gods a danger business. You refused to listen to any of this, and now I am really angry. These God-making businesses of yours are your doom, the verdict of God of the angel armies on all this. Because you have refused to listen to what I've said, I'm stepping in. I'm sending for the armies out of the north headed by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant in this, and I'm setting them on this land and people and even the surrounding countries. I'm devoting the whole works to total destruction or horror to top all the horrors in history. And I'll banish every sound of joy, singing, laughter, marriage festivities, genial workmen, candlelit suppers. The whole landscape will be one vast wasteland. These countries will be in subjection to the king of Babylon for 70 years. Once the 70 years is up, I'll punish the king of Babylon and the whole nation of Babylon for their sin. Then they'll be the wasteland. Everything that I said I'd do to that country, I'll do. Everything that's written in this book, everything Jeremiah preached against all the godless nations. Many nations and great kings will make slaves of the Babylonians, paying them back for everything they've done to others. They won't get by with anything, God's decree. God puts the human race on trial. This is a message that the God of Israel gave me. Take this cup filled with the wine of my wrath that I'm handing to you. Make all the nations where I send you drink it down. They'll drink it and get drunk, staggering in delirium because of the killing that I'm going to unleash among them. I took the cup from God's hand and made them drink it, all the nations to which he sent me. 
Jerusalem, and the towns of Judah, along with their kings and leaders, turning them into a vast wasteland, a horror to look at, a cuss word, which in fact they now are. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, with his attendants and leaders, plus all his people and the melting pot of foreigners collected there, all the kings of Uz, all the kings of the Philistines from Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and what's left of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, all the kings of Tyre, Sidon, and the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buzz, and the nomads on the fringe of the desert, all the kings of Arabia, and the various Boudouin sheiks and chieftains wandering about in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, and the Medes, all the kings from the north countries near and far one by one, all the kingdoms on planet earth, and the king of Shishak, that is Babylon, will be the last to drink. Tell them, these are orders from God of the angel armies, the God of Israel. Drink and get drunk and vomit. Fall on your faces and don't get up again. You're slated for massacre. If any of them refuse to take the cup from you and drink it, say to them, God of the angel armies has ordered you to drink, so drink. Prepare for the worst. I'm starting off the catastrophe in the city that I claim is my own, so don't think you are going to get out of it. No, you're not getting out of anything. It's the sword and nothing but the sword against everyone everywhere. The God of the angel armies decree. Preach it all, Jeremiah. Preach the entire message to them. Say, God roars like a lion from high heaven, thunder rolls out from his holy dwelling, ear-splitting bellows against his people, shouting hurrahs like workers in harvest. The noise reverberates all over the earth. Everyone everywhere hears it. God makes his case against the godless nations. He's about to put the human race on trial. For the wicked, the verdict is clear-cut. Death by the sword, God's decree. A message from God of the angel armies. Prepare for the worst. Doomsday. Disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A huge storm is about to rage all across planet Earth. Laid end to end, those killed in God's judgment that day will stretch from one end of the Earth to the other. No tears will be shed and no burials conducted. The bodies will be left where they fall like so much horse dung fertilizing the fields. Well, shepherds, cry out for help, grovel in the dirt, you masters of flocks. Time's up. You're slated for the slaughterhouse, like a choice ram with its throat cut. There's no way out for the rulers, no escape for those shepherds. Hear that? Rulers crying for help, shepherds of the flock wailing. God is about to ravage their fine pastures. The peaceful sheepfolds will be silenced with death. Silenced by God's deadly anger, God will come out into the open like a lion leaping from its cover, and the country will be torn to pieces, ripped and ravaged by his anger. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, The Anarchist. Now friends, read these next words carefully. Slow down and don't go jumping to conclusions regarding the day when our master, Jesus Christ, will come back and we assemble to welcome him. Don't let anyone shake you up or get you excited over some breathless report or rumored letter from me that the day of the master's arrival has come and gone. Don't fall for any line like that. Before that day comes, a couple of things have to happen. First, the apostasy. Second, the debut of the anarchist, a partner in crime with Satan. He'll defy and then take over every so-called god or altar. Having cleared away the opposition, he'll then set himself up in God's temple as God Almighty, quote-unquote. Don't you remember me going over all this in detail when I was with you? 
Are your memories that short? You'll also remember that I told you the anarchist is being held back until just the right time. That doesn't mean that the spirit of anarchy is not now at work. It is, secretly and underground. But the time will come when the anarchist will no longer be held back, but will be let loose. But don't worry, the master Jesus will be right on his heels and blow him away. The master appears and puff, the anarchist is out of there. The anarchist's coming is all Satan's work. All his power and signs and miracles are fake. Evil sleight of hand that plays to the gallery of those who hate the truth that could save them. And since they're so obsessed with evil, God rubs their noses in it, gives them what they want. Since they refuse to trust truth, they're banished to their chosen world of lies and illusions. Meanwhile, we've got our hands full continually thanking God for you. Our good friend, so loved by God, God picked you out as his from the very start. Think of it, included in God's original plan of salvation by the bond of faith and the living truth. This is the life of the spirit he invited you to through the message we delivered, in which you get in on the glory of our master, Jesus Christ. So friends, take a firm stand, feet on the ground and head high. Keep a tight grip on what you were taught, whether in personal conversation or by our letter. May Jesus himself and God our Father, who reached out in love and surprised you with gifts of unending help and confidence, put a fresh heart in you, invigorate your work, enliven your speech. Psalm 84. What a beautiful home, God of the angel armies. I've always longed to live in a place like this. Always dreamed of a room in your house where I could sing for joy to God alive. Birds find nooks and crannies in your house. Sparrows and swallows make nests there. They lay their eggs and raise their young, singing their songs in the place where we worship. God of the angel armies, King, God, how blessed they are to live and sing there and how blessed all those in whom you live whose lives become roads you travel. They wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled, these roads curve up the mountain and at the last turn, Zion, God in full view. God of the angel armies, listen. Oh God of Jacob, open your ears. I'm praying. Look at our shields glistening in the sun, our faces shining with your gracious anointing. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. All sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. He doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions. It's smooth sailing all the way with God of the angel armies. Proverbs 25, verse 15. Patient persistence pierces through indifference. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. Oh, that was so good, wasn't it? I want to talk about all of that, but I cannot. I cannot. So let's just pray and get on up out of here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for meeting us through your word today. Lord, you know the deepest desires of our hearts. You know 
the dreams and the callings that you've put there. Help us to fully embrace all you have created us to be. And Lord, please give us courage when we feel afraid to step out, when worry starts to creep in. Would you remind us that you are right there with us, equipping us for what is ahead? You are not going to let us go out empty, Lord. You are not going to let us go out without having all that we need to accomplish your purpose, Lord. Lord, shine your light on our path so that we can move forward in confidence and faith. And Lord, what we can't see with our eyes, would you please give us a vision to be able to see it with our minds? Forgive us for the times that we have played it small and safe. Lord, we don't want to miss out on any plans that you have for us. Wake us up to new possibilities. Show us practical ways that we can use our gifts and our passions for your glory. Lord, more than accomplishing great things, we just we just want to know you more. We just want to connect with you. Connecting with you is the greatest reward. Teach us how to abide with you. Teach us how to dwell in your presence as we walk out your callings. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for being such a loving, guiding, attentive father, for being such an involved daddy. Lord, we are so grateful for you. Lord, we thank you for your persistence and your patience with us. Lord, we thank you for all of your promises. We thank you that we can stand on the truth of knowing that you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. And wherever you are sending us, you have already gone before us to prepare the way. Lord, we just thank you for all of these things and we praise you, honor you. We exalt your name, Lord. We glorify you, magnify you, and lift you up. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people of God said together, amen. And our affirmation for today, comparing myself steals my power. Complaining keeps me stuck. Competing distracts me from my purpose. From now on, I'm focusing on what God and I are co-creating. Comparing myself steals my power. Complaining keeps me stuck. Competing distracts me from my purpose. From now on, I'm focusing on what God and I are co-creating and our aphorism. It is the creative potential itself in human beings that is the image of God. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this sacred sojourn with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.